today I'm uh, my goal here is to basically share some thoughts on where I think that marketing is right now so I'll do that for somewhere between 15 and 45 minutes depending on how it's going and how I'm feeling and then we'll go like deep into questions I'm sure that I'll set a framework and there will be some things or maybe there's some things that even coming into this talk that you're looking to know or you're looking at how to get done um, so we'll move into questions after that to set some context, I guess, raise your hand for the people that are on video. Do you any idea who I am or uh, what my thought general thoughts are? All right, like two, <laughs> maybe three. It's cool. So that, it's helpful for me. So I'll lay out a little bit of groundwork um, in advance. So my name is Chris Walker. I'm the CEO of Refine Labs. We currently work with nearly 50 um, high growth B2B SaaS organizations that are sales led. Some are a combination of sales led and product led um, to transform their demand generation and account-based marketing programs using a framework that we've developed proprietary called Pipe um, that we're working on publishing and working through that encompasses the strategy. Um, and so what I wanna talk about and where I wanna get this talk started is because I was on a podcast this, um, this weekend and I think that because of all of the, the, the technology and the data and all the vendors and all the tactics and things like that, that a lot of people have lost sight on how much strategy matters. And when I think about strategy, I think about what, are, what is the plan on how, how are we going to get this done in order to win? And so I'm gonna go in two directions here. The first one is on like basically business strategy, segmentation, targeting, and positioning. And then the other one is thinking about like, how are we going, like, what is the strategy to go to market in a most effective way? And I think that's really where in both sides, but that one is really where, really where we've innovated. So on the uh, two places in strategy, the first one is I think that companies either don't think about it or don't execute it to the level that I think could happen in order to really work, which is segmentation, targeting, and positioning. If you think back in the day to the 1970 or 1980 Procter and Gamble marketers, this is one of the key things that B2C marketers did that really, um, that was a huge advantage and something that I, I learned a lot. So not only looking at what B2B companies look at, which is industry, employee count, revenue size, job title, but starting to look a little bit deeper um, and the things that have come up for me most recently to figure out the things, the, the reason that a company is really good for us is actually the way that they think. We went through an exercise, we were in Texas in a, in a leadership meeting and we went through and we looked at all of our customer base and we were like, what is the, for our top 10 performing customers, what is the same about them? And the number one thing that was the same is that the CMO deeply believes in our strategy and what we're doing. It wasn't about how much money they raised, wasn't about how many people on their marketing team, things like that. The way that you get the psychographics is by doing qualitative customer research, which I think is one of the things that is completely missing inside of B2B marketing today because of the 
quant and the data and the availability of tools like Zoom Info and Crunchbase and G2 and all the places that it can give you a bunch of easy to collect firmographic data that we've lost sight in the qualitative, going out and talking to people, understanding what they're thinking, packaging that up in a way that's not quantitative in order to make decisions. A lot of people call that intuition or gut. It's really not. Um, uh, the decisions that I make are deeply informed by data. It's just not quantitative data in some survey or report. And so I've been challenging people a lot in marketing to for marketers to have a, the deepest understanding of customers in the entire business. What are the things that you need to do in order to get there? Follow or build relationships with influencers or influential people that your buyers and customers listen to. To spend time with your customers, whether that's at their place of business, inside of the communities that they're in, following them on social, um, doing one-on-one -on -one calls with them, any of those different things to get constantly exposed to what are my buyers talking about? Who are they listening to? Where are they hanging out? What are they saying? How do they, when we say this, how do they react? It's a surrogate for how do they think? And if you were able to collect all that data and as a marketer, my objective is to have a stream of insights like that happening all the time so that I don't need to go out and say, okay, it's Q4, time to do our 2022 market research survey to get our strategy together. For us, it's the insights are constantly happening. So the strategy gets to evolve in real time. And because we not prioritize isn't the right word, but because we properly weight qualitative insights, we make way faster decisions because if the data is obvious, if you look for it, there's just not a quantitative or a report from Gartner or something like that to show you it in a quantitative way. But it was really obvious in 2019 that LinkedIn was going to work for us because I was posting content and a bunch of CMOs were liking the content that you don't get in other places. So there's a major element of strategy targeting and positioning that I think is undervalued in, in B2B marketing today. And that's, so that's one piece of strategy. The second piece of strategy that I'm looking at is as the world has changed over the past five, 10 or 20 years in B2B software, what dynamics have changed, which would force or not force, but suggest that we take a different route to get to the same outcome to do it either faster, better, more customer centric or something else. And I think that the main thing over the past 10 years that has evolved is the evolution of the internet. It's undeniable, but in 10 years ago, when, if you looked at that, like a lot of people were wondering whether or not they should get their Facebook account. A lot of people were, a lot of businesses did, were wondering whether building a Facebook page was the right thing to do in 2011 to where we are now. It's crazy. The evolution of what's happened. A lot of the B2B marketing strategies that happen right now, if you go and look at inner details, the terminology, how Salesforce is set up, what the workflows look like, originated before that time. They started before companies were had had a Facebook page. And a lot of the mindset of why we do those things still exists in companies, despite the major changes that have happened in the world. 
the big changes that have happened since then is is the evolution of web 2. I know a lot of people are out there talking about the metaverse right now. I see them all the time, but really like like web 2.0, which I would call social and third-party content platforms that dominate the internet right now. So link like social networks, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, but also content platforms like Spotify, YouTube, and Apple. And then the, the third and the fourth one being communities. And I'm sure that a lot of us are a part of one of the, one or multiple of them. And then direct word of mouth. The key thing that's changed that I've seen over the past five years is that we all as marketers have the opportunity to engage and interact and learn from all other people that do our job in a way that we never would have five years ago. Think about, I can think about myself and I'll challenge you to think about it too. Think about yourself in 2016, how much you interacted with other people that do your job that didn't work at your company. Not even close to what's happening right now. If you think about the content consumption, the engagement on social, the engagement in communities, the fact that we're even doing this Zoom event, right? So all those different touch points have rapidly accelerated. It's been happening since pre-2016, but has rapidly accelerated over the past two years, which has given some businesses a large boost because they were ready to ride that wave and had other businesses stuck trying to figure out how to catch up. And so I'm challenging marketers to think about how to be in the place where when dynamics in the environment change, like a COVID happens and live events go away, or iOS 14 impacts tracking and attribution inside of Facebook and, and things like that, or the upcoming change with cookies or the uh, billion, millions of other privacy policy adjustments that will happen in the future, that when those things happen, you're already prepared to take advantage of them, not needing to figure out how to adjust. And the way that you do that is by constantly innovating in marketing. So step one, for I'm not, I haven't made an assessment about where you all are at from a marketing maturity curve. So I'll just talk through a framework broadly. Is that the first step is that you, you essentially need to catch up to the current time. A lot of people I sit on interviews and a lot of people are like, so what's the, like, what's the future? And they talk to me about AR and VR in these places. And I go back to them and I'm like, let's talk about what's going on right now. Most companies aren't where we are right now, being in communities every day, having a distributed marketing and sales team that's inside of that, taking a company brand and pushing that down through individual profiles, through engagement on the internet. It's just like so obvious, depending on who your buyer is, that that would definitely work. Um, producing digital content at a volume that I think is essential to success today. Um, producing events in, in a community-like element. And lastly, having a strategy and a point of view that resonates with the market that is the foundation of making a lot of these things work. And so I'm gonna try and transition the talk a little bit because of the adjustments of how buyers have now have access to all of their peers one-on-one, -on -one, which they didn't have in 2011, they probably didn't have in 2013, they probably didn't have in two, even 2017, that they have and now they know how to use, that instead of going to Google and saying, what is the best tool for this? Or my HR team needs help with this or tops, you know what I mean? 
vendor one against vendor two, who should I choose? Instead of going to Google and looking at all of the biased pages that show up in the top 10 results with affiliate links and all that stuff, where people get money when you click on them and convert, that buyers trust more going into a community, into a social network, texting three people that they trust that they know, setting up a Zoom with people and asking their peers that they think are more trustworthy, more credible, less biased. And when some people hear me say that, they think that it's a bad thing. They think that because that's what's going on that they don't have control over the situation. But when you think about from a strategy perspective, the objective is to just get more people to deliver a great product so that the people that use your product say good things about you and are happy and have a great experience. That's one necessary part. And then the second piece is just to get more people sharing and talking about you, which gives your customers, your happy customers or the people that love your, your content that aren't your customers that get a bunch of free value from it to have the opportunity to tell other people that you deliver a great product and they should try it or that they used to use vendor B and then they didn't, that vendor didn't have X, Y, and Z feature. So they moved to you because you had it or that they actually haven't used your product before, but they love your content because it helps them figure out what to do with their small HR team so that when they're ready to, to buy it, they're going to choose you. They're just not ready. So that's the power of using content and community to get more people talking about you because when more people are talking about you, your customers have more of an opportunity to say all the good things about you acknowledging that word of mouth is the primary way that people actually make decisions today. I'm just going to drive this home one more time. 2013, the places where people went, conferences, analyst firms like Gartner or SEO, if they, so those three things, Google. Eight years later, communities, social networks, influential thought leaders, direct peers and word of mouth. There's just been a major shift in the sources of information that people use to make decisions. Attribution software will show you that they're still using Google, that they still use review sites, that they still do those things. But it's clear in our data across a lot of companies that most people use them after they're pretty much decided. Which leads me to my, the, the main part of the talk, which is that marketing is now not responsible. Marketing used to be responsible for collecting contact information so that their sales team could try to do sales to people that don't want to buy right now, otherwise known as lead gen. If you go back to, two, I was a marketer in 2015, 2017, that's what we did. We ran webinars, we ran trade shows. We got, at that point, had Excel spreadsheets that we would organize and send out to the sales team because they didn't use, they didn't, weren't compliant with Salesforce. That's what marketing was back then, given all the changes that are happening, that buyers want to do most of their buying independently, that they can get all the information that they want on their own, that they trust their peers more than they trust your own sales rep or the information on your website or the information on your competitor's website, that there's a strategy adjustment that needs to happen in marketing, which is that marketing needs to take ownership over almost the entire buyer journey. Where and the way that I looked at it in 2017 forwards, and it changed my career to think about it this way, is that even though we're in B2B and someone needs to talk to a sales rep in order to buy this stuff, I think about it like e-commerce. 
which changes the strategy of, I don't need someone to fill out this form so that my sales team can try and convince them to buy. It's that I'm going to do all the work so that they're already convinced to buy. So that if there was a checkout button, they wouldn't need my sales rep. And when you think about it that way, the type of information that you produce, what you optimize for in marketing, how you distribute it and how you measure it all completely changes, which gets me to the place where I started the talk, which is in go to market strategy as a second component of strategy of that because of the changes that have happened, because we can now go out as marketers and target every single chief people officer and VP of HR. And I'm not sure I'm using HR generic HR titles. So I don't know exactly who you target, but, um, all those different titles that we can go out using LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, direct messages. If you want to do it that way, you know what I mean? All these things that even just five years ago, B2B marketers didn't have because of how much the availability of data and the evolution of these platforms has happened that we can go direct to the customer now and tell those messages. So the customer doesn't have to sit with our sales rep to get entry level information about what we're doing. We use the same exact process on our employer brand um, here as well. Company, company work to get customers, employer brand to get employees happens the exact same way here, which is that we promote the information broadly so that a lot of people know about it so that they consider using us so that when the right opportunity comes or when they see that problem in their business or another trigger happens, but the first thing they do is they consider working with us. The decisions, basically the decisions already been made. And the way that you do that is by shifting what you optimize for, I think is the number one thing that changed for me is that at the beginning, I was optimizing for how many people can I pass to my sales team? And over time I shifted to how many people become customers. And when you make that shift, it seems simple, it seems easy, but what you see if you actually look at it is that a lot of the things that we do in marketing right now that I believe to be antiquated solve for the first thing, which is I wanna pass more people to my sales team, but don't solve for the second thing, which is that we need to get more customers. And if you change what you optimized for, you would actually stop doing those things. It would become obvious. Um, and so we go in and help companies. We run analyses on certain things that they love to do, like gated eBooks on LinkedIn or other things, and just map it back directly to revenue and show them what's happening. And so changing what you optimize for changes a lot of the behavior. One of the key things that it changed for us is that we don't have to rely on direct response advertising because we measure against revenue, not against attributable leads. And so, and then once you get out of the, we need direct attribution, we need a high volume of leads, the availability to do way cooler stuff in marketing completely changes. Because what matters is, is our revenue growing? And when you change the strategy, the entire funnel shift, the entire funnel changes all the dynamics. You have to almost rebuild the entire demand system and not in a bad way. It's actually a really good thing. So. Um, to just clo close out and then we'll get into some questions here on the strategy side. It's about, it's about understanding customers, assessing what's going on in the market and thinking about 
is there a different way to accomplish what we're doing than what it is right now from a customer education standpoint? And for most companies, I believe that there is. A lot of people um, on the interview that I was on, a lot of people like are very good at uh, inspiring people or um, being really empathetic or being really athletic. And my real skill is seeing the entire landscape and not figuring out what the right strategy is and the right entry points. So I've really converged on that. Understanding that and developing the strategy is really like my superpower here. And so would love to, as much as I can over the next 35 minutes, like transfer some of that superpower to you. And so would love to move it into questions. Well, I'm happy to kick off with a question, Chris, because I think this is a topic that's really close to me and my heart. Um, we have had a challenge, typically in talent, which is not unusual in many companies of this concept of building content and then using that content. Nobody comes and nobody finds it. And then we put some paid dollars behind it. And then, you know, we get exactly what you said, which is crappy leads that doesn't impact revenue. So how do we switch from that kind of like content creation strategy into content that's actually impacting what you're calling this full buyer journey. Yeah, so I'll tell a, a story here about how I've done this before. Um, so what I've done before is I've gone out and you'll have to, if you have multiple segments, you might wanna actually work within one segment, not do it broadly, but segment out your customers and then go talk to 10 people in the segment that love your product and then 10 people in the segment that don't use your product and what you'll find if you are curious and you ask questions that there are three to ten fundamental things that the people that use your product believe that the people that don't don't believe and then over time it's your job to figure out different ways and angles to communicate those things to the people that don't use your product so that they believe them to a level like your customers do and so that could be um, a couple of objections. So I'll, I'll go through, I'll just make up an example here. So um, maybe the people that don't use your product um, think that the product is uh, not complex enough for my enterprise environment. And so to respond to that common objection that people that don't use your product have, you could package up a customer story of Amazon or of another like very large enterprise organization using the product in a way that they found success. And then you could deliver that through a video, through a web page case study, through a carousel infographic. There's a million ways to actually get down to it tactically. But the strategy is what is the thing that I'm, what is the thing that I'm trying to communicate? And then the actual, once you have that, the actual communication is simple. Um, so a potential objection, a um, like for us in medical device, it was that, um, a lot, most of the physicians that didn't use our product didn't like, didn't keep up to date with the medical journals in our little specific niche. And so all the clinical trials that came out would go into that medical journal and they, because they didn't keep up to date with it, cause it was only 2% of their job, they wouldn't see them. So they didn't know that things had changed that the product they were using right now was had more side effects than our product with the same outcomes. And so what we needed to do is get everyone educated on that these clinical trials existed and what the conclusions were. And so we did that through a lot of different ways. 
press like press release type of content that actually went through targeted paid distribution to accounts. We interviewed the uh, in Prince primary investigators in the, the clinical trials and cut those into videos and then use those in Facebook video ads in 2017 to get the message across that these are the conclusions of the study. This is what you need to know. These did exist. Ultimately, that the product that you're using right now has more side effects than this one that would be better for your patients. And so if you can identify what are those five to seven things, it could be implementations too slow. I already have a solution to that. Um, for a lot of these, you're probably compete. A lot of people think so much about competition, but like that you're competing with these couple of companies, but what you're really competing against with is the status quo for the most part. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think that's a great way to think about it rooted in understanding customers and then developing the communication strategy. And one follow up and then I'll pass it over to Sam. We'll go through the question. So um, a lot more and more I'm thinking of this concept of MQLs as kind of being over. Um, and really we're starting to look at transitioning to like an MQL is really just like a demo request or a contact request. Um, how are you mm -hmm. kind of dealing with that pressure that you get from the sales organization to say, you know, where you're really going to go from a space where they had 100 MQLs and now you're, you're going to have 20, but they're going to convert at higher. Like, can you talk a bit about the pain that happens as you go through that process? So um, this is a go to market strategy change, not a marketing strategy change, even though I talk much in marketing, it affects the entire go to market, right? So um, at our company, we don't have any issues with this because we have alignment on the go to market strategy. When this breaks down is when there's not alignment, where when the sales team still thinks that they should get a thousand MQLs a week and the marketing team knows that those MQLs aren't converting and so therefore would like to do something that's more productive to help the business. And so the first step is getting everyone aligned on what are the actual goals and why, and then starting to work backward from there. At large organizations, the transition on this can be challenging because of the infrastructure that's created in BDR, SDR, RDR, whatever the acronym is, resources to do these things. And then the revenue model is built off of this machine. So it's a, it's a big change to do this. What we help companies do is first measure the success of marketing in the model that's happening right now and look at it against total marketing spend, sales efficiency metrics like pipeline velocity, win rate, sales cycle length, SQO win rate, lead to win rate, things like that, and assess how is it working at a top level right now? How much do we spend on marketing? How much revenue do we get through marketing source things? And then break it down by each source. So on our lead gen channels, through our website, through our drift chat, like which conversions are actually driving qualified pipeline and revenue. The reason that we use conversions like a drift chat or a, or a, um, a web form or a uh, content download on the website or a direct response content download lead gen out on LinkedIn. The reason that we use those is because that's a, as a surrogate to how they enter pipeline to the level of buying intent that they have when they enter your pipeline, which will predict win rates and sales cycle lengths. And so 
you can look through the data and then map that back against common sense of when somebody did this, how far do we think they really were done the process? And you'll see very good alignment there of like, this person was on LinkedIn, they hadn't been to our website in at least the past 90 days, they downloaded this piece of content, we cold called them. It's no wonder that they didn't get into our pipeline because there was really no level of intent there. Um, I think that's what I got on that one. No, that makes total sense and it's helpful because I think we're going to go into that journey coming into 2022. <laughs> yeah, actually, let me give you a little bit more there now that I think about it. Um, when So once you make the assessment, typically what we find is that um, when presented with the data to the sales team, that the sales team wants to change too. Um, so qualitatively, the sales people here, like, the stuff that's coming, the MQLs coming from marketing aren't good. They're not converting. I would rather go and go to Zoom Info or use Intent Data or do something else to get them anyway. And so typically by using the data, everyone can get aligned of like, we actually do want to make this change. We want marketing to own more of the journey. We want marketing to be responsible to pipeline, not MQLs, which can help for, for top level alignment. Again, the execution gets challenging, but what we... Um, what we recommend is that if you had the main crutch here is the SDR resources that that uh, take all the MQLs and then do something with, which in large companies can be hundreds of people. And so in helping that team shift to a targeted outbound strategy, leveraging intent data is typically what we recommend. We find that companies are significantly more productive through that than marketing MQLs. But the real secret and the real magic of doing that is that marketing can go out and do real marketing, not lead gen. I think there's a few people on this call who are saying hallelujah as you say those things. <laughs> um, uh, Sam, I'll pass it over to you or for questions in the chat or if anyone else has questions. Yeah, we've got from um, Ajay about the quantitative research. So he said, if quantitative mm -hmm. research is the linchpin of a marketing strategy, what are your thoughts or tips on how to engage the target accounts where we lack meaningful engagement with the technical or business users? So uh, just a correct, I'm not sure if there was a typo or just a mishearing. My belief is that it's qualitative research. Um, so it's a major distinction here. I think most marketers try and do quantitative, either data analysis or customer search all the time. Like that's what most SaaS platforms and tech would support. But the real magic is when you go out and talk to the 10 people that use your product and the 10 people that don't, and you spend 30 minutes with them and you ask broad open-ended questions and you learn that you see details and things that you would never get in a survey, that you would never get through listening to gong calls, that you'll never get through just like following people on social, that you get that opportunity. And so, and when you don't have direct access as a marketing team to the technical buyer or the decision makers, then the first step is you gotta, you gotta learn and create something that you have enough value to present to those people when you talk to them. And then you gotta go and get access to them. Um, so from a marketing standpoint, for me, number one, like before we go out and do any marketing, we need to understand customers deeply. And so, and I acknowledge and I understand and I've been in part of companies where that's not the case right? Where um, sales owns the relationship or, or account management would own the relationship with the customer. They don't want marketing there. 
Um, so I've been a part of those before. And the key about getting access to those people as a marketer is by being able to provide value to that person. Um, and so in the example that I give to people to just help them understand is that three years ago, I knew a lot of the stuff that I'm talking to you about right now. But three years ago, nobody was inviting me to go and talk to their company. CMOs didn't want to take a meeting with me because they did, they were not aware of the value that I could provide. And so by, um, using customer research combined with subject matter expertise, content and community marketing can create their own ecosystem where their buyers are coming to hang out right there. Um, and so that's something that I would consider too, but the, um, the places where I see this breakdown is marketing, asking, um, technical buyers for meetings, but then not being perceived as valuable to the meeting. So you either get no response or no, thank you or something like that. Um, and the other one is, is literally marketing teams, just not acknowledging that having that customer insight is necessary to drive strategy. And so if you have a follow-up, uh, Ajay, feel free to drop that in there and we can get a little bit more tactical about yeah, I mean, how to do that. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can also say, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. It's, it's, in my mind, it's kind of chicken and egg, which is, so there are set accounts, both existing and net new, that we really want to work with. And to your point about community, um, there is community we can build, but I'm curious about how we get in front of them where perhaps they, they just don't know us at this stage. You know, you talked about years ago yeah let's be honest okay. we're yeah we're in a business where we look at the scale and we're looking to drive engagements quarter over quarter so it's a yeah. way to, i was going to say jump start but uh to, to find those appropriate communities where you can actually try and get in front of them with the right content and the right value and the right message um mm -hmm. as a way to force that conversation engagement it's an interesting nuance in how you ask the question, I'm not saying this is a reflection of you. I'm just kind of pointing it out to help people is that you said we want to create a community with the people, the accounts that we want to work with. Right. So there's a little bit of an intent of that community to lead to business, which sometimes changes the dynamics of the community. And so like one of the key things of like when I'm on this talk with you all or when I do the demand gen live session that we do, have done for 90 weeks in a row or a lot of the other live events that I'm on is that I have like literally zero thought of you ever becoming a customer or anyone on that event becoming a customer. My job is just to be part of the community. Um, and so whether you are orchestrating the community kind of like I do for my company or whether you're trying to be a part of one that's already existing, the key is to be a member of the community. When you think about the, um, the like credibility angle that you mentioned, like these people don't know us yet. The, the way to do this is to start in a content driven community where the events that you put on create content that also create a place, a space for people that believe in those missions can come together in some, in some way that then can create information that can go on the internet. It's what we do for our structure and at the beginning we had zero listeners to the podcast and 15 people on our events. And now we have a hundred plus people on the events every week. And a lot of people listening to the podcast and it just comes down to 
consistency, execution being better. And then I, a key component is what is your point of view? What is the strategy from your company? Why should people show up to your event every week? Which is typically where I see this breakdown for tech companies is that it's a user group with education on features or it's a, um, it's a like backend lead gen tool or something like that. Um, creating a, a community that's separated from business outcomes so you can truly be only there to help the community is tough inside of B2B companies. Okay. Chris, is it all right if I jump in or Sam is all right? Everyone, right? yeah, right. everyone, um, please jump in. And I don't want to backpedal too much, but just coming back to um, the, the buyer research, when you talk about, hey, if you really want to do good marketing, then we really need to understand our customers in a much greater depth and also how they want to buy, uh, where they buy today. If we understand that, we can, we can ultimately market in the same channels to them or mm -hmm. deliver content to them in the same channels. And you mentioned um, that the way to get interviews with um, those, our target buyers in order to understand how they buy is by delivering value to them. And that was really why my, my question is how could you double click a little bit more in terms of the way you approach getting in front of um, target buyers Mm -hmm. and getting time with them in order to understand more about how they buy asking those them those questions what communities mm -hmm. do you hang out in who are your thought leaders what podcasts do you listen to all the questions that we're dying to ask but mm -hmm. have you found success in the in in certain ways of approaching those who actually get those 30 minutes with those valuable customers to get those valuable insights mm -hmm. yeah so here's what i did in 2017 and i'm positive it will work for you right now so um before I ever went out and tried to, I would go, I'd spent 90 days doing field sales rides, which gave me some initial insights as to how people were responding, what customers said versus that. Like, so I had some base knowledge, but the next thing that I did was I started a video podcast where the first five, maybe seven, I'm going to misquote this, maybe the first seven episodes were all um, like the most high profile people that would speak at all the conferences that these people wanted to go to. So they know who these people were and they respected them. And I did podcast episodes with them, which one helps you learn a ton, right? So you go and talk to seven influential people and interview them for an hour, you'd be amazed how much you know, relative to some other people that are doing that job. So you can rapidly get information. And then for that, that was deleted. Hey, just did. so if I was going after someone for pediatric emergency medicine, I would say, Hey, um, you know, person at Seattle Children's Hospital, like last week, I had Alex Rada, the head of pediatric emergency medicine at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital on our podcast. He was talking about X, Y, and Z. He was wondering if I could, I'm going to be in the area in a couple of weeks. I wonder if I could stop by and, and talk to you about it because I'd be interested in your perspective. Um, and so using the content creation with an influential person as the lead into the meeting to one, talk about the study. But then two, while you have the meeting, being able to dig deeper into the other insights is a great way. So it's a it's you it's leveraging someone that's influential for the intro. But in reality, you're going out and doing a lot of work for someone to learn about the study, to collect the information, to go and present a perspective. Um, 
So there's a lot of learning and being able to deliver value that's embedded in that part of the strategy too. And then once you go out and you talk to 20 other people, you see patterns and then you'd be, you have a dip, a better view of what's going on in the market than any individual person. Um, and so that's like a huge advantage to me right now is that because I talk to, I think thousands, like literally interact with thousands of marketers a month and hear their perspective and understand what data they're getting and what's working the best for them and how they want to buy and what's going on in their Salesforce instance and what technology they're using that I have a view of the market that's incredibly unique and incredibly valuable to people. And, but you can replicate that on a small scale by doing the exact same thing with influential people first and then with customers and future customers later. Super helpful, thank you. Happy to help. We got two more from Cecile. Um, so first one is about, you mentioned earlier, marketing should own the entire buyer journey. Um, do you have any tips from getting sales on board with that? I kind of briefly touched this with Jacinta, but I think more about the um, mm -hmm. post-purchase and interesting. And totally. I would say we have a lot of eager salespeople who love outreach. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. And this is a mindset thing. I don't mean it literally. It's a, it's a more of a, a mindset change, right? So um, we work with companies. They still have a sales team. They're still a, you know, 60 to, you know, 180 day plus sales cycle that the salesperson needs to do. But as a marketer, my mindset is that I want, like my job is to get someone all the way to the end. My job doesn't stop when there's an MQL. Um, and my job doesn't stop when there's an MQL and then I transition into pipeline marketing. Um, my job is to educate the market broadly to move buying processes at scale. So to clarify, I don't mean it literally, but it's a, it's a mindset component. And it's not about getting, um, like when explained logically, sales should be on board with this, um, which is that what we're going to do in marketing now is instead of delivering people that are 5% of the way done buying, where we win them at a low rate because they're 5% of the way done buying, we're going to focus on generating people that are 80% of the way done buying, which is going to lead to you having higher win rates, shorter sales cycles, better overall productivity. The trade-off is that we're not going to have a lot of activity metrics that you have right now. In exchange for all that time that gets spent following up with leads that don't close by at large organizations, hundreds of people, just very, really unproductive if you do the math on it, that we want to have these people do something different, which would be going and figuring out whether it's a targeted account strategy, whether it's more so distributing content, whether there's a ton of available opportunities. But the switch is that, and I think sale, a lot of salespeople would agree with this, is like if, if the choices are following up with marketing junk that doesn't convert based on the data or going and doing my own outreach, personalized target accounts, I'd rather do my own outreach. I think a lot of people would agree with that one. Um, so there's definitely nuances to the way of looking at this, especially in a large like global organization. Um, but when you, and what I find, what I find a lot is that companies use the things that are already in place as excuses not to move to the future. So all the stuff that I'm saying makes logical sense, but there's things that exist in the company right now, the machine that, that creates artificial barriers to doing the things that logically make sense. Um, which is something that happens in every, it's not like a, 
just sales and marketing. It happens in every business, Blockbuster, Netflix, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. It's the same thing. You build a business that's profitable. As it gets growing, you create infrastructure that prevents change. And the only way to change is that you need to break down what's existing right now and rebuild something else. And companies don't want to have go through the short-term friction and pain to break it down and rebuild it. So they just keep going. And eventually, over time, that plays itself out. And uh, Cecile, do you want to jump on for the following question of the community? Yes, yeah, so you said that um, one issue when you are driving the community is that you may be in a position when you want to sell something, you know, instead of being neutral, I would say. And so the question was that for the driving community or user group, do you advise that it's partially driven by your user instead of having just us driving it, for instance? Mm -hmm. So that would be uh, one way to address it. But I think that the most appropriate way to address it is to change our mindset about what we what our job or goal is when it's a community. Um, and so I mentioned that like, I have no literally zero selling interest or or thought whenever I do something like this or in a community or different things like that. Um, and a lot of the people that either come onto the, the lives and ask questions or different things like that, like wouldn't be our customer because they don't work at the right companies, don't have the right job titles, aren't at the right level of seniority. It doesn't matter to me. They're marketers that are getting value, that are sharing the content, that are learning. And so I think that companies look at this like way too narrow, like, oh, if it's not the CIO and the chief people officer in our community every week, then it's a failure. Um, and that's not how I see it at all. Um, I find that right now what's happening is that because of how content is being distributed, that content's going to managers and directors and getting pushed up and it's going to C-level and VP and getting pushed down. And the key is making stuff that people want to push up or down, right? Right. Like creating things that like I posted one today, which is the six uh, steal these six pillars to drive your organic content strategy. It was nine that nine minute, 58 second video on LinkedIn, which is basically the limit. And I know that the content's good when a, when multiple CMOs and VPs of marketing tag their entire content team in the post. So that's how you kind of get, it's dark social. It's interesting to think about how the distribution works, but to get back onto your question, it's, about having a different mindset that I, my job is solely to educate people because as that is happening, if I have the right point of view, if I have the right strategy and more people know those things, like I broke down uh, for Jacinta, the, the case study and the clinical trial and trying to get people to understand these different things, which in my business is attribution, change on leads, change what marketing is optimizing for, change your mindset on marketing. Like, core principles that if people understand and actually believe, then they would be way more likely to consider working with us. So I break it down to a way more of a micro, um, a micro scale. The last piece that I'll offer to you is that I would think differently about a user group and a community. I would think about them as two different things. I think that the huge benefit of the community is that it doesn't only have to be people that use your product or like your product, that it can be far more broad and helpful 
um, and, and components like that. So I see that if it's a user group, there's a place for that and it's super valuable. Um, but I think that it's limited in how like content and, and community and the internet works today. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I think it's worth pointing out that difference between the, the user group and in terms of the way that a talent, we think of a community, we think of it very much linked to the community of the users of our product. And you're talking about, yes, that's a value, but actually there's the like what you have and what you've built with Refine Labs is, is a community of like-minded B2B marketers who gravitate around the sorts of things that, of the, of new ways of, of thinking about doing marketing, right? Which is, mm -hmm. they aren't all customers of Refine Labs, quite, quite the opposite, I would, I would think. So it's quite, um, yeah, there's a, different there's a blend, of right? When I evaluate, like, is the, is the content strategy good? The number one way I evaluate is, does my top evangelist customer, would it be valuable to them? And would it be valuable to someone that's never, a marketer that's never heard of my company before and anything in between? And if that's where, if that's what it is, then I attribute that to being good content. Um, so inside of the community that we have, it's really about the, it's helping people that, helping people understand that there's a movement in marketing, things that are changing, that if you want, if you believe in these things and you wanna be on the right side of it to either advance your career, advance professionally, start your own company, get a promotion, that we have a place where you can develop professionally, learn, connect with other like-minded people. And we it's, it's nice, a lot of people get promotions or get new jobs or start their own company or otherwise be more successful and get what they want out of the community, which is the whole reason that we do it. Um, but to say that like the, commu the community definitely helps retain our top customers, not going to show up in a Salesforce dashboard, no attribution around it. But I know that the CMOs of our top customers still listen to my podcast, still share the podcast with their team. And it definitely helps on net new acquisition. And there's an interesting element that most other people don't pay attention to that I really like is the amount of people that could not be our customer for whatever reason, but come to the events and get a ton of value from it. And there's a big piece in there that I think that B2B companies miss. Um, because those are the people that are the consultants that could recommend you to a VC one day, or could share the, their friends with somebody that could share the content with somebody. And so I think people underestimate the value of true, just like social shareability and word of mouth. Um, that doesn't need to be your exact customer right now. Also people are changing jobs left and right. So just because somebody works at a company that's a hundred employees right now as a CMO doesn't mean that in six months, they're not going to be a VP of revenue marketing at a thousand person company and be a perfect, you know what I mean? So it's more like marketing to the marketing to the psychographics and the desire to get better, to understand the movement to those things more than the job title and the company, they both matter, but there's like a different distinction where the community I think is more open-ended and broad psychographics. And then we accomplish the things that we need to accomplish based on short-term business goals of job titles, company sizes, industries through targeted paid. So I know we're coming up to time and one question that, you know, to try and get this group thinking about it for 2022. If 
if you were a marketeer and kind of a lot of what you were focused on in 2021 was this concept of filling the top of the funnel and nurturing someone through from that funnel into being sales ready to start to think about what you're going to do differently in 2022 what what do you think the number one thing that they should be focusing on would be so as a as an individual marketer as a company a bit of both but as an individual right because part of uh, part of us getting the company changed is changing our behavior right yeah so um i asked because what i find and i try and help dozens of companies do this every month um is that it doesn't uh, i don't want to just come off the wrong way but it's difficult for any individual marketer to make this change the real thing that needs to happen first is the company needs to get aligned at the executive level and change the metrics of marketing um because if that's not in place and all the things that i just told you are perceived as low value or no value in your organization, customer research, um, the community element, different things like that, because they don't pump up leading metrics. They don't have direct attribution, all the things that people look for in their, in the way that the metrics are set up right now, don't point to these things being successful, even though that they're the most valuable things that you could do. So changing the metrics to how much pipeline did marketing create last quarter or this quarter, and did that go up? by a certain period uh, or a sort, certain amount, I think is the number one thing to look at. And then how much did we spend in order to get that done? So at the top level, that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking at. And then from there, it's all of our jobs as individual marketers, whether we're a content marketer, field marketer, you know, head SEO or paid search, whatever our individual function is, is to think about how does our individual piece contribute to that goal. And so from a, like a LinkedIn ad standpoint, because of how companies set up their metrics, the people that run LinkedIn ads can only run LinkedIn lead gen ads because you need, because they need attribution to go back to the CFO and say, we spent $50,000 on these ads and we got a hundred leads or something like that. But if you had the metrics aligned to pipeline, and you didn't have that, then the LinkedIn person could get way more focused on, I want all of our target accounts to know every single feature that our product has. I want all of our target accounts to know every single company that's in their industry that also uses our product that we have a case study published for. I want all of our target accounts to know that use this tool because we have technographic data. I want all of them to know that we have an integration for that tool. And it can completely change your mindset of what you try to accomplish in a channel but the start is to to change the metrics that allow marketers to do those things. Perfect. So I know we're right yeah. at time. Um, I don't. I, I think we still have some continued questions, but I think um, we might need to come back and do a second or third session with you, Chris. Um, so I would like to say a huge thank you for taking this hour to do this. It's been extremely helpful, I think, for a lot of people on the call um, and for kicking off this session for us. Thanks, everyone. This was a blast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. You know, 
It's crazy to think that now more than 15,000 demand marketers, sales reps, product marketers, field marketers, CMOs, and everything in between are listening to this podcast and getting a ton of value out of it. And so if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been getting value out of it, I would really, really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating in the podcast section. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you and see you for the next episode.